Join me, if you would, in the book of Revelation, chapter 15. And I thought we were going to get through this chapter, but we're not. We're not going to get through verse 3. They're just... And, and I appreciated some of the things that uh, Robert Hawker had to say. Uh, sometimes he doesn't say a lot about a passage, but sometimes there's two or three pages, and he said, this is, paraphrasing, this is worthy of looking into. And this, these two verses here that mention the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, the words of the singers are just overwhelming. Uh, this could be made into uh, a song to sing here because we're going to get to sing it in glory. That's what it says in Revelation 15, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. And that word marvelous means passing human comprehension. It was great and marvelous. The reason I brought that up because we're going to run into it again in verse, uh, verse 3 there. Great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass. Now these are the redeemed ones. And they stand on this sea. And we mentioned as we went over that, that they stand on the gospel. They stand on the covenant of grace. They stand on God's free grace in Christ Jesus. That's all the church stands in. They don't stand in any of their works. It is no wonder that the Apostle Paul was used by the Holy Spirit to write there's wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, if we're standing in our own righteousness, we're not standing on a sea of glass. We're not standing on these endurable, long-term, everlasting comforts of grace. We're standing on our own righteousness. It is wood, hay, and stubble, and he says when... They are set to fire, they'll be consumed. Now that's the, the difference between standing in Christ and standing in our own righteousness is when the heat hits, that will be gone. And so will those who practice them. We must be standing on this righteousness of Christ, trusting in his blood and righteousness alone. And it says there... Uh, having the harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses. And we looked last week and saw that that song of Moses is a song of victory. Number of stanzas. Moses was given words to make more than all the stanzas of Amazing Grace. That whole chapter is filled with his... Uh, gracious words given to him by the Holy Spirit to describe the victory that God had over Egypt 
on the behalf of the Jews, on the behalf of the Hebrews. And I'm convinced that when those Egyptians began to travel down between those great walls of water, they felt like they were going to be able to accomplish exactly what those ahead of them had. And yet we find that that kind of faith, and not faith in God, that kind of faith will fail. They had faith, but it failed. Faith that is given to us by Christ will not fail. Our own faith will fail. But his faith given to us will not fail. And then it says they sang the, uh, he's the servant of God, and they, the, they sang the song of, of the Lamb. Now notice these words. It's just uh, taking all of that song of Moses and all the song of the Lamb and putting them together in a verse and a half that is absolutely chocked full. There is no extra room. It is so full. This is what they said. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou king of saints, or king of nations. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for they, thy judgments are made manifest. Now there's, I don't, haven't studied this out and I don't pretend to know, but there's an interesting term in that verse four, for all nations shall come and worship before thee. Now there's a difference between that and worshiping the Lord. I almost am of the opinion right now without going any further, I may change my mind between now and next Wednesday, but the saints worship the Lord and the goats are going to worship before the Lord. They're, they won't worship beneficially, but they will bow their knee to him. All right. I just, I'm going to spend a little time tonight on the, those words that are mentioned there in this, these uh, words of the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are thy works. Great and marvelous. The first thing that came to me is that the fact that there is a church is an act of God. That there just is a church. That there just is an assembly. That there just are lambs. There are sheep. There are saved. That's an act of God. It is recorded in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, that he is the looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Just to have a church sitting at the feet of Jesus and to have uh, the body of Christ in the world today is a miracle of grace. And to have it uncorrupted, declaring the free grace of God and enduring to the end, that's an act of God. We know our frame. We get tired. 
We get weary. But he doesn't, and we're thankful he doesn't. We sometimes cast to the right hand or to the left hand, but he doesn't. Sometimes we look up and or we look down, but he doesn't. He is ever abiding to make sure that all his children will endure to the end. He doesn't leave it to them. He carries his sheep. And so just to have a church, just to have a body, the believers in Christ Jesus in this world today is a miracle of God's grace. But to have that body, to have these uncorrupted and enduring to the end is all of grace. And when we see that, when God is accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in his church, the words that come out of the mouth of those who know that kind of grace are, great and marvelous are thy works. I know my frame. I know, we sang a song, that the sun would come down and converse with worms. Those old writers, they just put it in real perspective for us. It's been changed over time, and these songs have been changed in the new hymn books, but those old guys, they just put it right in perspective. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, came down and talked to worms. Not only did that, but he laid down his life for them, and now they're called his sheep. And it just to have them, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and the teaching of the church. I'm amazed after all the assaults that have gone on against the church and against God's word and against God's word to the church and against the saving matter of saving people, the, the, the doctrine that we know is the, the doctrines of grace, the assaults, the assaults from all sides against that, that it's still here. But he said to Peter and to his disciples, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's that mean? The doctrine won't change. The teachings won't change. Salvation won't change. Why? Because people don't change. The same need is here. It's prevalent and prominent. The need is here. And the same thing that saved sinners in centuries past is what's required to save sinners today, and that's the free grace of God. The gospel in its purity and in simplicity, not making it more than it is or less than it is, but preaching it and allowing the Holy Spirit to take it and apply it to people's lives. People say, well, I don't think he's doing it anymore. He still is. We're here. God's still doing it. He saves his people. God's still applying his grace, and it takes that word of grace. Now, let's look at these, these uh, two words, great and marvelous. Great. That word is used over 80 times in the book of Revelation alone. It's used almost as much in the book of Revelation as it's used in the rest of the New Testament. And if we just followed that through the book of Revelation, we'd find out God's doing great things. He's doing it against great things too. The great uh, city of Babylon, Babylon the great, the great grace of God is going up against the great city of Babylon and what? Overcoming it. 
going up against great sin and overcoming it, going up against great enemies and overcoming them. His greatness is greater than the greatness of anything that this world has ever produced and greater than the sin of Adam. His grace is greater than Adam's sin, and that was great sin. But his greatness is greater. In fact, the church says, Lord God Almighty. And we could put another L in there and really get what that means. Every bit complete and total mighty. Nothing is out of your power. Nothing is free, floating. Everything is in your power. Great and marvelous are thy works. Lord God Almighty. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we have the same word used here, great and marvelous, great and marvelous. Sometimes it's translated just a little bit different, but it is. we just run into this word, and it's all through the New Testament, and it has to do generally with the greatness of God, using that name of him, Lord God Almighty. Now, everything that the Lord God Almighty does is great. He stilled a great wind and produced a great calm. <laughs> we can't comprehend that calm. We, Nancy and I were driving down the river the other day, and we looked out, and it was just like glass. So there's just a few places like that. That lake was calm. There wasn't even a ripple on it. And that wind was greatly stilled. <laughs> there wasn't even a breath left. Every time God acts, it is great. And that's what Saul of Tarsus said about the grace of God when he saved a great sinner. It's great grace saves great sinners, and he's a great Savior. All right, Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10. It says here, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When... God's people see the Savior. They rejoice with exceeding great joy. When they saw this miracle, a new star moving across the heavens, placed there by God to lead these people to the newborn Son of God, the incarnate Son of God, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. It is unable to comprehend that kind of joy. The world knows nothing of it. Only the church understands this kind of joy. It is God's joy given to us. It's exceeding great joy. As we read there in uh, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10, rejoice with exceeding great joy. I can't put that into words. I can't mathematically draw that out. It's... Uh, it's X to the nth power, exceeding great joy. You never get to the end of it. Turn with me to chapter 4 and verse 16 as we look at this subject of great joy. Exceeding great joy, now there is a light that comes that's great light. It's incomprehensible and ununderstandable. Un 
What does it say? Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. Boy, a shaft of light come down through the, to, through the prison door. Uh, I see all kinds of stuff when I'm subbing. I saw a really interesting uh, uh, video the other day on the sun. Learned a lot about the sun. St stuff that was 16 millimeter film when I was in school, if they had it. But here, there is a building up in Sweden or in uh, Sweden or Norway or somewhere up there. Has a door in it. It's a, the biggest man-made structure out of stone in the world. There's one day of the year that the sun shines down through that doorway with the brightest sun, and that's the shortest day of the year. How those guys knew how to do that. But here is an absolutely dark place. It was a burial place. And the shortest day of the year, a shaft of light comes down through there. And that just reminded me of the great light of God coming to where no, but, no other light could ever shine and shining upon death in such victory and raising us from the spiritual darkness and spiritual death to his great resurrected glory. Here, the people that sat in darkness saw a great light. Well, it may not be visible with these eyes, but it is visible with this heart. It is a great light. It's the light of God. There was light before God created the sun. There was light before God created the stars. There was light before God created the moon. There was light, and that is a great light. It's the light of God. It's the light of glory. It's the light that those disciples, Peter, James, and John, saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were standing in a place to see the Son of God in his glory. And it said the only way that the Holy Spirit could give to the writers to describe that was it was his clothes were whiter than any bleach could bleach him. <laughs> any fuller, any bleach. That's just the, as much as could be described about it. The light of his face. Now, we hear of and read about Moses being up on Mount Sinai and coming down. They had put a veil over him. You know, with Christ, this light is to our advantage. We don't ask for a veil. The law, my goodness. Cover him up, cover him up, cover him up. But with Christ, oh, great light. They that sat in darkness saw a great light, verse 16, and to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. All right, just a little further in this book of Matthew, uh, chapter 27. Now, in chapter 27, there are several greats. I've almost said that looks like a good Easter sermon. <laughs> right here, great. Just to grab this a little bit of what those saints were singing the the song of moses and the song of the lamb great and marvelous are thy works O lord god almighty incomprehensible with the natural mind and it is staggering to the spiritual mind 
incomprehensible to lost dead people without Christ and without God and without help in the world. But to save people is still striking. It's no wonder that Peter said, we really need to build three tabernacles here. It is great light that they saw. Incomprehensible light. Light that was beyond their greatest imagination. They'd never seen anything like it. And I'm afraid that Peter spoke for everybody. We got to do something here. This is just too much. And the Lord was spoken of. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Don't go, go off and build something. Don't go off and do something. Hear him. It's all that's expected of us. Hear him. Our our whole being is to be active. <laughs> Sometimes it's just the hardest thing that I've ever had to learn to do is sit and relax. Because I grew up not ever relaxed. There was always work to do. Religion is just that way. It takes God's grace to make us sit down under his vine. <laughs> just to be at rest with him. Now... Notice here in Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a great voice. That's what that word is. Same word, loud voice. I cannot imagine how loud that is. We have it described in the book of Revelation as the sound of thunder. I mean, being right under the thundercloud. Being right there where it shakes your teeth. That thunder shaking you. That's what this is. He cried with a loud voice. A great voice. There are several things that that shares with us about the crucifixion. Number one, he did not die from nails. He did not die from beating. He did not die because he was suspended between heaven and earth. He did not die from the loss of blood. He did not die because he couldn't breathe. He laid down his life that he might take it up again. He is sharing with us in this great loud voice, I am in command of all things. They're not taking my life. I'm laying it down. They didn't take me. I gave myself. We've been hearing that in the Bible class. And take him. He laid his life down. He gave himself. He gave up to him, them. They took him off because he wanted to be taken off. Or they'd have never taken him off. And so it is with a loud voice. Verse uh, 46 there, it says, With a loud voice, cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In absolute control, he speaks to God. Prior to this, he says, Father. After this, he says, Father. Right now, he is excluded from that conversation because he is sin for us. He is feeling the pain of his iniquity that verse over in the psalms now it's not his by nature and it's not his by practice and it's not his in that sense not by birth but it's his because he claimed it 
He claimed the sins of his people. He took upon himself that claim. He became great and mighty in sin because of us. Father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then in that same chapter, in verse 50, it says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. I am in command. It is a great, great and marvelous, great voice, loud voice. This is a voice that shook the earth from its poles, on its poles. And then we read in the next uh, verse 60 of that same chapter, it says, And they laid it in laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a great stone. Same word, great. I, I can't imagine how big this is. This is more than just a two-foot stone. This is a great stone. It's thick. It's heavy. It's tall. It is a great stone. It is as great in its greatness as the greatness of the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is as great in its mass as it is great and marvelous are thy works. This is a seal for a tomb. This is not something that some grave robber can come by and move. The ladies themselves said, "Who's? Uh, oh, we forgot something. Where's Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew when we need them? There's a great stone there. Who is going to remove that stone for us? We forgot about that. It's a great stone. Why? Because there is one sealed in there who is a great God, a great Savior with great sin that must be in this earth for three days and three nights. A great stone covered him up. He's covered by a great purpose, great determination, great pleasure. As we find in the book of Hebrews again, it says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is now set down at the right hand of the Father. This is a great stone. It is equal to the great voice of God. It is equal to the great and marvelous works. It is equal in its mass, in its size. And then we hear Pilate say, go put some mortar around it. Here's my ring. Put this seal in it. Make it as sure as you can. It is a massive stone. Not one person is going to move it away. Probably not two or three. But he made it as sealed as he could. And God rolled it away. All right, let's go just a little further here. In the next chapter, verse chapter 28, another couple more greats. Verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Chile hasn't seen anything. Haiti hasn't seen anything. This is a great earthquake. This is so great that the, that the saints are shook to life. It's a great earthquake. This earth, there's a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it great earthquake i can't imagine what that was like and can you imagine living in jerusalem on these days these have been pretty interesting days all the miracles that went on this man hung on a cross Pilate washes his hands can you imagine the priest going back home and says i never saw that before 
he washed his hands from this. And the people in the street says, let his blood be upon us and our children. And it has been. And then in that same chapter, chapter 28, verse 8. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. These ladies departed. Oh, my goodness. They saw something marvelous. Great and marvelous are thy works. There's a great and marvelous work took place that day. The stone is rolled back, but it didn't let Jesus out. He's already gone. That angel wasn't required to get involved to free the Lord Jesus. It's going to be just a few days later. He's going to demonstrate that to the church. He went through a wall without opening the door. He went through a tomb without opening the door. Oh, uh, uh, Oh, a sinful and adulterous generation seek after a sign, but no sign shall be given but the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights, and I'm not sure that Jonah understood all that was going on, but Jesus, in the purpose of grace, said, here is going to be a marvelous, great and marvelous type. We would say with all intents and purposes, if we're the mariners on that boat and we help Jonah overboard because he begged us to and a great fish comes and swallowing him up, we could write in a log book, one guy died today <laughs> and we'll never see him again. Wouldn't it be interesting if those mariners traveled to Tarshish and there is old Jonah it was a great and marvelous work. He swallowed by a great fish, and three days and three nights later, he is spewed out on the beach. Well, that fish couldn't hold him any longer. And I liked what uh, a speaker at camp said, this earth couldn't hold the Lord any longer. Great and marvelous. What's it say there? Verse 28, they went away with great joy. And the church has been ecstatic about the resurrection of Jesus Christ ever since. It's been great joy when we realize by the Holy Spirit's influence upon us, by the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that tomb is empty on purpose. It is empty because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were pleased with the sacrifice of the Son and now we're back where it was before the world began and a whole host of people will be as if they had never sinned. They will go to their house justified. Sinners justified by Almighty God. Great and marvelous. Turn with me, if you would, to John 19, verse 31. John 19, verse 31. This word is used again there, and it's used with regard to a day. Now, this day is a day that they couldn't crucify Jesus on. That wasn't just the regular Sabbath. Notice here, this is the Passover. And I like how it's described here. It's called a high day. 
John 19.31, it says this. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high and high day. Now, the Passover, whenever it came through, it's, it's like uh, your birthday. Every once in a while, it falls on the same day that you were born. But most of the time, it just travels through. And it moved. And sometimes it fell on the Sabbath. And sometimes it fell after the Sabbath on the first day of the week. And sometimes on the second day of the week. This time, it happened to fall before the Sabbath. And it is called an high day, a great day. Now, for the church, we can't say that enough. <laughs> this is our Passover day. This means so much more than that Passover ever meant to the Jews when they left Egypt. This means when God the Father sees the blood of his Son, which is the life, his life given a ransom for many, he, the Father, will pass over us because of the substitutionary death of the Son, and it will be called a high day, a great day. A great day of redemption. It was a high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that he might be taken away. And they came and found Jesus already dead because he gave himself up. He was not going to go through that. Not a bone would be broken. They would be out of joint. <laughs> but they would not be broken. And the rest of those, those two others were, were uh, executed by the breaking of their legs. All right. And one other verse, if you would turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 5 and verse 33. Acts chapter 5 and verse 33. Great and marvelous are thy works, and the works of God are always great and marvelous. And here in Acts chapter 5, verse 33, the same word is used, but notice with me. That's not the one I wanted. Hmm. Chapter 4, verse 33. All right, thank you. Yes. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Now that's great grace. That's loud grace. That's big grace. That's outstanding grace. That's beyond human grace. This is God's grace. It's great grace. Great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection. They spoke with great power. They spoke with conviction. They spoke believing it. They commented with regard to the Lord Jesus. They said, oh my, he spoke with authority and not as one of the scribes. What's that mean? He really believed what he was saying. He really believed what he was reading. And the church really believes God, what he has said, what he is saying and what he will say. They believe it to the point that they will say, singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. 
And I don't know the meter and I don't know the tune, but I know the words. <laughs> Great and marvelous are thy works. And again, there's a cousin to this word found in Second Peter. Second Peter. It's just a different form, but it has the same meaning, much the same meaning. Read with me, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. When we're dealing with the Word of God, and we're dealing with the promises of God, and we're dealing with the, the uh, purpose of God and the, the covenant of grace, listen to what it says. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great. Exceeding great. It wasn't enough for the Holy Spirit just to leave us one word. He left us two. Exceeding great. Exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Ye, by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. And I'll tell you, that takes great grace. That takes a great voice. That takes a great stone. That takes a great earthquake. That takes a great God. That takes a great Savior. That we might be partakers of the divine nature. That's a birth. Partakers of the divine nature. Exceeding great and precious promises. Where were they made before the foundation of the world? When are they executed? In time for every one of his lost sheep. Exceeding great and precious promises. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit promised together in covenant mercy. And now there's exceeding great and precious promises on the church's behalf. And as a result of that, the church might be partakers of the divine nature. Having God as Father. That's bigger than we can imagine. And then it goes on, and our time is up. There's some marvelous things said, too. <laughs> Passing human comprehension. And Lord willing, we'll look at some of those next time. And then just to look at that, uh, just and true are thy ways, thou king, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, glorify thy name, you're only holy, all nations shall come and worship before thee, thy judgments are made manifest. There's one thing about this, recognizing he's the Lord God Almighty and he's the king and he is the Lord, is whatever he does is right. We're going to, just a little bit later, not far, not very far, we're getting to the point where God shows what will happen to those without Christ. And the church is already singing the song. Great. Your purposes are perfect. Whatever you say is right. You're the only holy one. Just and true are thy ways. Preparing the church just and right are your ways.